Um, now I've got to transition. I know, I know in the past few weeks, and I know I mention this continually as we're in Ephesians, but Ephesians truly does speak so much about our new life in Christ. Have you, have you noticed that? Have you been, have you been seeing that in, in the text as we've been looking at this? And, and I, know how, I just wonder how many of you are really keyed in to the dramatic difference that has been made in our lives because of our new life in Jesus Christ. You see, sin really is such a curse, isn't it? I mean, sin, it it separates us from God, right? When we share the gospel with others, one of the first things we tell people is that sin, your sins, your sins that you have done, that you have committed, have separated you from God. We know this. We know this theologically. The scriptures reveal this. We know that God is holy and sinless. Sinless. Remember in chapter 2, Paul uses language like this, that we were unclean, that we were separated from Christ. We were outside, we were alienated. We were strangers and we were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You know, in my preparation for teaching on Sundays, I, I read the book of Ephesians straight through at least once. Uh, every week. And I, I'm just, I tell you, the joy that I have received, even though I've taught this book before, I've read it so many times, the joy that I am receiving in preparing for you has just been wonderful. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to teach the book. And uh, seeing what all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ has just been a huge blessing. You know, I've read Ephesians countless times, but it never ceases to be an amazing book. God's grace is magnificent. And so getting back to where I was heading about sin separating us from God, you know what else sin does? Sin not only separates us from God, but sin is what separates us from people. Sin absolutely separates us from God, but it is sin that separates us from people. Our sinfulness is extremely effective at destroying relationships with other people. Sin is what destroys our relationships with one another. Sin destroys marriages. Our sinfulness destroys families. If we stop for a moment, if we're truly honest, we will all admit, every single one of us, that our sinfulness has indeed destroyed relationships with people. And we have no excuse. It is our sin that does this. But here's a great truth that we've been seeing. And a great truth of our new life in Christ is this. As a result of new life in Jesus Christ, we now have renewed or new relationships. How we deal with people, how we relate has changed because of Jesus Christ. In Christ, everything in our life changes. How we view marriage, it changes. How we parent our children, it changes. Kids, teenagers, how you obey and respond to your parents changes when you come to life in Jesus Christ. When Christ enters our life, our lives at home change. When Christ enters our life, our relationships that we have with our employers or our employees, they change. 
Our relationship with the world changes. It is different. We are called in Christ to be different. How we relate, how we interact, how we love and care for those who we live with day in and day out. This is where we find out if our theology, what we believe about God and his grace, we find out in how we deal with people day in and day out what that theology truly means to us. Does that make sense? This is the nuts and bolts. See, you can say perfect theology. You can know good theology. We've studied and we've learned how blessed we are in Christ. If this is truly believed, then it will be proven day in and day out in how we live with one another. You see, we can know and we can be gifted theologians, but yet... If our lives are not showing evidence that our lives are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, then we have dead theology. Our understanding of God's grace and God's mercy, you see, as we've said it over and over, it empowers us and it is the fuel to live live lives that are spirit-filled. You see, now in Christ... We are different. And from here on out in Ephesians, all the way to the end of the book, we're going to look at how we live out our earthly relationships with one another, with our spouses in our marriages, with our children and children to their parents, with our bosses and coworkers, how we relate to the world, and how we will see how the Holy Spirit works with us as we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is where we're heading till we end the book of Ephesians. And here's the bottom line. This is what we need to know, and we need to put this on the refrigerator next to the missionaries. We need to have Holy Spirit-filled relationships. We need to have relationships. We need to have lives as we live our lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are under the control of the Holy Spirit. God gave us a gift. It says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, but we also have the Spirit. He who has the Son has the Spirit. If you have life in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you have been baptized into the Spirit. So be filled or under control of the Holy Spirit. We need to get this right out of the way. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to empower our relationships, to empower our interactions with people. And you know why? And let's be honest. If you're honest, you're going to admit this. People are annoying. I've had people ask me before, are you a people person? My answer is I used to be. (laughs) But now people bug me. I'm half joking. My flesh takes over, I'm really not joking. Under the influence, under the control of the Holy Spirit, we need to be people persons. People, people? You know what I mean. The greatest commandment is to love. But yet, we get annoyed. I get annoyed. 
people annoy us. People bug us. Even the ones who you love the most in this world, they have moments where they annoy you and drive you crazy. And guess what? The ones who love you the most, the ones who love us the most, we drive them crazy. We annoy them. They don't like the way we eat our cereal in the morning. Too loud. We slurp the milk. We think our jokes are funny, and they think they're terrible. Sometimes we think our jokes are funny, and they actually are hurtful. Because of sin, you see, because of selfishness, because apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit, life is about taking care of number one. We are selfish. We care first and foremost about ourselves. And so because of that, we have broken and we continually break relationships with people so we desperately need the Holy Spirit to control our lives. And that's what our text is saying. So let's look at verses 18 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, the source for healthy relationships is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul shows us the connection between the Holy Spirit and our relationships with others. Turn back, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. And you'll see the relationship between the Holy Spirit and our relationships and our interactions with people. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In our text, in our text today, Paul again shows us the connection, as he did in chapter 4, between the Holy Spirit and our relationships with others. Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit, and then he gives us two one another commands. Speaking to one another and submitting to one another. And Paul is giving us an example of how a Spirit-filled believer is someone who lives in a right relationship with God and also right relationships with others, and especially a right relationship within the church. You see, it is spiritual things that Paul is calling us to do as we interact with each other. So let's look at the command, be filled with the Spirit. So verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember last week we learned how those who imitate God are those who walk in wisdom? I could have added this first part into last week's message, but I kind of wanted to put it in with this one. It was one of those almost toss a coin. But we can't forget it. Walking in wisdom is so important in how we do this, and it's part of being filled with the Spirit. 
In verse 17, it says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so I want to give you wisdom straight from God's word. And it's not my wisdom. This is God's word speaking. The wise person is not intoxicated by alcohol or anything else, but is filled or controlled by the spirit. You see, verse 18 gives us two commands. Do not get drunk with wine and be filled with the spirit. The emphasis of this verse really is on the second command, to be filled with the Spirit. We know this because Paul moves on from the two commands with these words in verses 19 through 21, where he says, this is what you do, addressing one another, singing, making, giving, submitting. You see all these commands. The two were to follow, but we're doing this by how we address one another and how we sing to one another and making and sing to the Lord and giving and submitting to one another. See, these are the results of the outcome of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit brings us a joy that is expressed in thanksgiving to God and joyful submission to one another. So our first command is this. Do not get drunk with wine. It is never God's will for the Christian to be drunk. It is sin. Being drunk is foolish and it's sinful. Drunkenness is a sin that will lead to other sins. We know this to be true. We see this in our world day in and day out. Why does that happen? Because it makes a person lose control. You see, we're to be controlled by the Spirit, not by any outside agent. So much damage occurs when one is under the control of alcohol. You know, drunkenness in our society is often laughed, with, laughed at. It's a joke. It's a funny part of movies. But they don't show the lives that are lost to DUIs or the fighting and violence that occurs in households because of the abuse of alcohol because of drunkenness. You know, the worst fight I ever witnessed was at Candlestick Park in the Giants game. It was in the 80s when the Giants were not good. I think it was one of the years they lost about 100 games. And we used to go to the bleachers and uh, sit there for like $2.50 and we parked for $2.50. I mean, it was a good deal. Now it's outrageous. But we'd go there and there was always plenty of seats and it was general admission. We could go in there and we would go there and watch the game, and I'm a Giants fan. Well, it was so empty towards the end of the season when they stunk that uh, you could notice pretty much everyone around you, and about seven or eight rows behind us were two guys, came in together, friends. They started drinking. They started drinking way too much, and they got drunk. The next thing I know, I see these two going at it, and noses are breaking, and heads are getting slammed into to the, the seats, and it was a violent mess. And security came, ran, broke it up, and took them off, and, and I'm sure cuffed them and took them away. A good friend of mine who I went to a youth group with, he was head of security in the bleachers. He played football for San Francisco State. I can kind of give you an idea, he was a big, strong guy. He was the bouncer out in the bleachers. So when that all calmed down, he came over and said, hey, what was the story there? I go, they came together. Weren't they friends? He goes, yeah, they're friends. I go, they about killed each other. 
He goes, yeah, one's a 49er fan and one's a Raider fan. <laughs> There's a preseason exhibition game tomorrow, a game that doesn't even count. And they started arguing over who would win the preseason exhibition game. He goes, and alcohol took over and they went to kill each other. The curse of sin makes people run to things that they shouldn't, to trying to find joy and peace. And it brings death and violence and destruction. The Christian is not to be drunk. You see, we've been given a contrast. The contrast is, is this. We are to be controlled by the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, and self-control. Drunkenness is a fleshly sin where control is relinquished to alcohol. Maybe some of you were hoping we could just like camp on this and do the whole Sunday morning on alcohol and the Christian. I think the key is this. Be filled with the Spirit. Look, Scripture does not teach not to have alcohol. It teaches not to be drunk. And so we want to be faithful to the text. People have tried to take this and say, this means alcohol is out. The same word for alcohol or wine here is the same that Jesus turned it into. A lot of people like to say Jesus didn't turn water into alcoholic wine. It's the same word that we're commanded not to get drunk with. We leave this up to the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. And God will direct you in the right way as to how you handle these things. But the scriptures, we teach what it says, and it says, do not be drunk with wine. But, our second command, be filled with the Spirit. I like John Piper's definition of being filled with the Spirit. And he says this, the fundamental meaning of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with joy that comes from God and overflows in song. Acts 13.52, it says this, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy, joyful living in Christ is married to being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings joy. We find our satisfaction in God as we allow ourselves to be controlled or be filled with the Spirit. Psalm 4, 7, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Whatever joy and peace people try to find in alcohol, the Spirit of God gives us so much more. You see, being filled with the Spirit, this is the normal Christian life. We are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and it should be normal to us. See, Paul's commanding us with this. 
And so then as we gather together as spirit-filled believers, worship and service to one another take place. Worship to our Savior and serving one another, it takes place. And something unique and special happens when we gather together under the control of the Holy Spirit. There's some overflow that just comes out. And let's look at that. When the Holy Spirit is at work within us, within us, we live lives of worship and we have renewed relationships with one another. We see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. How is this, how is this shown? Singing. Look at our text. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Singing. We are a singing church, praise God. Why do we sing? It's been said we sing because His greatness is too much for just speaking words. We sing because His greatness, the greatness of our God, is too much just to speak words. We must sing. We've been changed by the cross. So we sing. We celebrate. We don't just think of God's grace and remain silent. How can that be? How can we do that? Think of the grace you've been given. Think of all you have in Jesus Christ. Think of God's grace. Can you think of God's grace? Can you feel and experience? We've experienced God's grace. We've experienced salvation. Should we just leave that to silent, quiet words? Tell me about grace. It's good. I like grace. You see kind of the silliness of it? Man, we cheer and scream for so much. Paul here is saying, look, sing it out. Singing by definition means volume. You can't, I mean, I guess you can sing quietly, but it just doesn't work. Ultimately, when you sing, you want to sing. So we sing and we shout. Paul mentions here in our text three types of songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Today, we sang from Psalm 103. Hymns. This is similar to our hymns where we have very laid out words about God, truth, <laughs> theological truth, who God is. It could be similar to our hymns or it could be similar to what we see in Revelation chapter 5. Remember it says they sang a new song. And here's what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open, it, open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed the people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You know we see this in Revelation. Here in heaven they still remember the cross. And they sing of the cross. They sing of the lamb who was slain. They do not ignore the death of Christ up in heaven even. The death of Christ is celebrated and they say, worthy are you. For you were slain. We sing about Jesus. You see, we choose our songs carefully. We want to exalt Christ. That is what hymns do. It's spiritual truth that we sing, spiritual songs. 
These are songs, songs that exalt Christ, songs that come from a heart that's been made new by the grace of God. Again, quoting John Piper, I think the reason for these different types of songs may be that God is infinitely varied in his beauty and he meets us in various ways. And so we worship with various songs. That makes sense. We have songs of tremendous celebration, don't we? Where we're almost dancing. We're singing loud. We're singing the greatness of our God. We're bold before God. But then there's other songs. Different seasons of life can bring out different songs of worship. Sometimes our praise is overflowing, and other times we're singing with deep reverence and awe. We sing of God's holiness. Sometimes we're maybe more in tune with our sinfulness. And so we focus on God's mercy and grace, and it's, it's somber, isn't it? I love Good Friday services. It's a day where we celebrate the cross, but yet it's subdued because it's a heavy, it's a heavy subject. It was our sin that nailed Christ to the cross. When we speak of our sin and that Jesus came and died for our sins, that's not something that necessarily we sing with a huge amount of dancing. We're serious about it. We're reflective. And we reflect on the greatness of God's sacrifice, sending the holy, perfect lamb to die for us. God is so big, we worship in so many, in a variety of ways, in a variety of songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you know that when we sing, if you look at our text, when we sing, it goes in multiple directions. I don't know if you've always noticed this. A lot of times they say, let's sing praises to our God. Absolutely. That is what we do. But our songs go horizontal to one another, as our text says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord. So when we sing, it goes horizontal to one another and it goes vertical to God. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. When we sing, we sing to one another. When we do that, we're reminding each other what God has done. We're teaching one another. We're encouraging one another. When we sing together, we are saying, look what God has done for all of us. Look at our God. And it's a marvelous thing that we are truly engaging with one another in one voice, saying, I stand with you and we give glory to God. Also, when we sing and exalt God, we're giving glory to God as we praise him for who he is, for what he has done, and we're exalting Jesus Christ for his death and his resurrection and his victory. We sing to God, and we also minister to one another when we gather and we sing. So guess what? 
Sing. Christians sing. It's a command. And you guys do well with this. Praise God. I've been in churches and they don't sing. I've been in churches and for some reason the men don't sing. Men, sing. Teach your children to sing. I got a couple, well, no, Emily sings. You know that. Em Emily, oh boy, I'm getting in trouble here. Emily sings all the time at home. Kelsey will sing, but it's not this robust singing. Katie, kind of, I'm always kind of nudging her. We're sing, sing, sing. I'm trying to train my children to sing. We train them to do this because Christians sing. When I hear someone say, I don't sing, it really, truly breaks my heart. It brings sadness to me. Why? If they're saved, I'm sad that they're choosing to be disobedient to a command that God has given us to sing. Sing to one another and sing to the Lord. It's obedience. But when we raise our voices and praise for so much that is worthless, it makes me sad when one won't let their highest praise and their loudest songs belong to Christ. When we sing, we fulfill responsibility that we have to one another. We, are to, we instruct one another and we encourage one another, which we're commanded to do in Scripture. And so when we sing, we're being obedient. But you know what else is good about singing? Songs stick with us. They stick around. I think God knew what he was doing when he said sing. Worship me. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing truth. Because the truth will stay with you. You ever caught yourself in the middle of nowhere just humming a tune that we sing on Sunday? I hope it encourages you. We tried really hard to pick songs that exalt God and exalt Christ. It is good to remember songs that exalt Christ and that they stay with us. It says to sing and make melody with all your heart. Is your heart involved? Are you singing to our Savior? You see, this is why we care about worship here. We want good, strong theology in our music. If you don't like our style, I, I truly do apologize. We try to have a variety, but it's never about style. It's about the lyrics, it's about the words, it's about what we sing. And we want to exalt Christ. We want to sing of our redemption. When we sing of Christ, we want to be absolutely 100% sure that we're, you know we're singing about Jesus. I can't stand songs that sometimes I go, is that my wife I'm singing about? Or is it Jesus? When it's kind of ambiguous and not a whole lot of meat and potatoes to it, just kind of sappy. There might be a place for that. I don't want to be ungracious. But when we sing, let's make it clear. We sing of our God. We sing of our Savior. We sing of the one who sacrificed and gave his life for us. We say worthy is the lamb that was slain.
We want to exalt Christ. We sing about the cross. We want to sing about the hope of heaven. Let's not forget that. Jesus is coming again. This is not our home. We sing of grace. We sing scripture. We celebrate. And we worship. I'm running out of time to handle really well the rest of the text. Because it leads so much up to where we'll be. And I will say this. Let's go to verse 20. We just read, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And I'd like to hit this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we thankful people? It says here, giving thanks for everything for everything now that is hard how do we do this be filled with the spirit be controlled by the spirit our scripture reading today said this walk by the spirit what is that saying it's saying keep in step with the spirit keep pace where the spirit goes go with it don't lag behind. Don't get ahead. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And you know what a huge desire of the flesh is? To have pity parties. You say, oh, my life is terrible. Your life is in the hand of a sovereign God who loves us and gave Jesus Christ for our sins. Yes, because of sin, we have trials. Our bodies groan, Romans says. We ache. We're breaking down. I'm breaking down like crazy. Like, I used to be young. I used to, I used to be an athlete. What happened to me? Because of sin, we're breaking down. But guess what awaits us? A new life. A new body. A new home for our soul. This is awesome. So yes, in the midst of trials, it's hard. But it says, give thanks in everything. How do we do this? By control of the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The author, the perfecter of our faith. Look for opportunity to praise God even in the midst of trial. Give thanks. We must be a thankful people. How can we go through Ephesians 1 through 3, see everything that God has done for us? We see our adoption. We see the blessings we receive. We see that we've been brought from dead to life. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. And we're going to complain and whine? May it never be. Let's be a thankful people because of Jesus. Complaining starts when we take our eyes off of Christ. That's when it happens. And... I am preaching this to myself more than you would ever know. I may not always verbally complain, but I am always fighting this battle. Why? I don't like hard things. I don't. I like easy street. That's the street I want to live on. We may not be called to that. 
You know why? We may have divine appointments on the pain street that will bring glory to God. And so we say, Lord, your ways are too good for me to even know. So I will praise you for where you have me. Giving thanks always for everything. Those who are controlled by the Spirit, we are thankful people because God is good. He saved us. And he's sovereign. Nothing happens that he doesn't know. He guides us and he directs us. Hey, until we're in heaven, because of sin, we're going to have calamity. You know, just, I've said this before, but you know, we live on a fault line. In a moment, we could lose our homes. We will never lose who we are in Christ. We won't lose Jesus. So we're thankful people. Hold on to this world loosely because it's all going to go away. Hold on to Jesus. And when we do this, we're thankful because he's so good. And so we sing we remind ourselves, and so we become a people who give thanks always for everything. And who do we thank? We thank God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every good and perfect gift is where? From? Above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow or turning. I love that. Let us be a thankful people. Next week, well, no, actually in a couple weeks. Thankfully, I get a little time off to rest. I'm, I'm actually excited for that. But we'll talk about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we'll see how that submission moves in to our marriages, to our families, to our work, and the spiritual battle that we have. But it begins with submission to Christ and submission to one another. The Christian life is a life of submission. Wrap that around your head for a little bit. Focus on that just for a few weeks. I don't think we naturally like to submit, do we? The Christian life is a life of submission. Anyways, let's close and just some final thoughts on worship. Thank you for singing. I commend our obedience together. Thank you. Thanks to God that his grace has been poured out on us and that the Holy Spirit moves within us to sing to one another and to sing to the Lord. Let us continue to do well in that. We're going to close with a hymn I love. Might be my favorite. And I just ask a favor, a favor as we sing it. Could you sing loud? I know you will. I don't even have to ask that, do I? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. When we have Jesus, we have such a blessed assurance. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We look forward to heaven, don't we? So that's what we're going to sing of. Let's pray. Thanks for your attention this morning to God's word. Heavenly Father, we, 
We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the commands that you have given us, and you've given us the fuel to be obedient. And that fuel is the Holy Spirit within us. And Father, I pray that we would be those who are filled with the Spirit. Lord, that we would be people who walk by the Spirit. Keep in step that you would control us so that we would not carry out the desires of the sinful flesh. Father, may we be people who moment by moment relinquish control to you. Father, may we be those who fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, thank you that a work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ, to show the greatness of Jesus. And you have given us the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, may we be people, may we be a church who's obedient to you. Father, thank you as we're filled, our lives individually as we live will be pleasing to you. Father, I thank you that as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we gather together, we will be pleasing to you as we sing and worship and encourage one another and hear from your word. Father, thank you for the blessing it is to be in a church. Father, may we never be those who neglect being together. Father, we need one another to obey this command. So, Father, we would pray that you would guide and direct us, that we would develop a strong and healthy love for your church as we gather together to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.